Yo, what's going on? It's your boy, Big Wavy Roy Johnson here. Hello everyone, this is the interview queen, Alicia Too. This is the infamous Cameron Solis. This is the professional Nathan Cruz. This is Veggie. This is the Callahan Death Machine in the draw and the face of Impact Wrestling. The one and only shot with Thunder Willie Mac. This is Shreddy Break, aka Mr. Clangin' and Bangin'. And you're listening. You are listening to. You are listening to. Broken but glorious. Broken but glorious. Broken but glorious. So, hello everybody. It's uh, Stephen Jackson, aka DJ215, here again with another great interview for Broken but Glorious, this time with. Um, a close personal friend over time on Twitter. First time we're meeting via uh, Zoom. I was about to say Skype, but Zoom. Um, you're only seeing the audio or listening to the audio. We're seeing each other as well. Um, Justin M. Nipper, um, wrestling writer extraordinaire. So how are you doing, Justin? I'm fine. Thanks for having me, Stephen. No, you're welcome. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be able to finally you know, hear your voice and see you in person. Well, as we said before we started recording, in person, you know, this is as close as we're going to get regardless of, uh, you know, ge- geological sort of uh, differences and time zones and things. So, absolute pleasure. Um, massive fan of your work and um, your knowledge for the industry. So, I'm looking forward to talking to you more about um, your sort of um, career in wrestling. So, the first thing what I did want to ask you, um, was as I ask a lot of um, interview guests I have is where did the your wrestling fan actually start and were there any particular matches or moments or influences what came uh, to you to start off with what got you into wrestling? Mm, yeah, I don't have like one or two specific moments, but from a really young age, uh, I remember watching wrestling on the weekends, Saturday mornings. My dad and his brother, my uncle, they used to watch it a long time ago too. I grew up in upstate New York in the Albany area. So it was prime time WWF territory. So the earliest memories were probably WWF and the first show I went to was 1991 at the Knickerbocker Arena. I was really young, what with our neighbors across the street and uh so i i guess that like 91 the time and especially wwf around like right after six wrestlemania six and right before the slaughter hogan wrestlemania seven i have memories of those but there's nothing like specific it's just more like uh images of the past in my head but yeah yeah early 90s i was really young uh and because i was in the northeast um there was a lot of, of there's a lot more wrestling, I suppose. Yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of people say they, as with me, my fandom began with WWE and WCW um, and all yes. WWF at the time. And it's kind of the gateway in, I always think, because um, we then spoke, as we've, we've sort of messaged on uh, Twitter, um, your, or from your writings and things, you're predominantly right about um, Puro Rezu, you know, New Japan. Uh, pro wrestling, big Japan pro wrestling, and you also have a great um, knowledge and passion for FMW, so Frontier Martial Arts Wrestling back in the um, 90s. Was that something you found through, like me, like tape trading and through, um, 
you know, an intrigue in what was going on? Or how did that come about? How did the Japanese sort of um, wrestling come into your life? Japanese wrestling came earlier than I could have expected, I suppose, because I forgot to mention, going back to early fandom, there was a little bit of WCW early on too, because when I was in first grade or first grade, I was Sting for Halloween. Oh, wow. So that was in that time period. But um, with Japanese wrestling, to bring up WCW again, I remember very specifically being... So I didn't get WCW television where I lived. It was just WWF. There wasn't TBS um, yet on cable. So I'd have to kind of go to uh, two, three hours west to see my family, extended family. And that's where I watched WCW. And that's where I first saw, if you remember Starcade 95, when they did the WCW versus New Japan. Um, I do. Like a, like a tournament kind of thing. Yes. Uh, yeah. I, I remember seeing previews for that and being really, I don't want to say, bl- I wasn't blown away. I was just like, what's this? These guys, yeah. they're, they're flying. They look so much cooler. They look really, <laughs> se- it looked really not like what you'd see in 1995 on television yeah wrestling so that and i remember survivor series 95 with the all japan women um yes there was a alenja blaze had a team and bold nakano had a team or aja kong had a team i remember i had a tape i would tape on sundays i would tape all american wwf all american or something and i remember seeing like a video footage stock footage that jim ross was talking over and i just kept rewinding there's chaparita asari did something called sky twister press and seeing something like that at that time i was like nine or ten that was like my avengers yeah i i think that's one thing too that really brought me in like intrigued me with the japanese wrestling is the context of the time too it was really not like anything else and you mentioned fmw like that was really alternative compared yeah. to it still is i don't really it's yeah not, it was uh it's different and there was a lot of sameness especially in the movies mm. and um, yeah so i guess that's what intrigued me but i i did i was a nerdy tape trader i was really 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 into that <laughs> i spent a lot of my allowance on tapes i used to get you know the tvs and best of compilations it's, yeah, um, it's pretty much that's where it kind of started yeah um for me the it definitely started in wcw the um japanese and lucha libre influence um that was the first time i saw uh jushin thunder liger ultimo dragon uh sinjiro tane and then we had the wrestling channel which was um sort of sistered with the fight network over in the over in canada and uh, over in north america so i was able to see uh, fmw through that um at sort of around the same age sort of nine and ten and i remember specifically seeing um guy i mean seeing masato tanaka um in ecw because i'd seen bits of ecw but then saw guys like um mr pogo and early mike awesome and uh hayabusa um who as you said, just even now watching Hayabusa and some of the stuff he was able to do in the ring, I mean, obviously he had his terrible um, accident, which led him to being paralyzed, which is terrible. But watching him at his peak, 
even retrospectively, he there's nobody I, I would say who was on par with him in terms of what he did in the ring as a high flyer. And seeing that as a ten year old, like you said, like a, like someone out of Power Rangers or something, you know, where it just leapt from the screen, you know, at the screen literally. It was just unbelievable. Um, and you know, it, it, it's as you said, you know, it, it just it was an alternative and. It's exciting because you know that's kind of with with your writing. One I one thing I love about your writing is you're always looking at the alternative side to things, and you know your knowledge of new. I mean, we've spoken as well about New Japan. Like I love New Japan Pro Wrestling, but your passion for New Japan in these past however many years and the writing is just top notch. I mean, so when you were when you started covering New Japan a lot more uh, prolifically for places like The Observer and for um, fan-sided DDT and things, were you able to see that there was a change? Because for a long time, New Japan had kind of been a bit hit and miss, you might say, and then there was a, you know, the start of the progression to where we are now. Did you see that change happening and writing about it? Yes. It's, it's funny that you mentioned that because I started out at The Observer at around the time, I guess it's about two years ago now, right around the time All In. And if you remember, so it was 2018, and I remember how hot both New Japan was, um, ROH, just the, the indies in general. There was that, that feeling, there was that um, tension or hotness. Yeah. Um, so I was covering ROH exclusively not exclusively, that was like my main thing, like beat or whatever you say, mainly the pay-per-views, mm -hmm. which were essentially New Japan uh, pay-per-views. There was a lot of overlap. So it, was, mm -hmm. it almost felt like an extension of New Japan. So that's when I, um, I noticed that New Japan was picking up some momentum, but I really, there's one marker where I really remember that something was different, at least in the States. You know, Bushy Road bought when they acquired uh, New Japan in 2012, and that's the narrative. Is Okada started coming up, Tanahashi start was always great, so we we all know the story. But yeah, in 2017 in America, I remember ROH booked a show somewhere. I think it was Chicago, and the headliner, the main event was Yoshihashi versus Kenny Omega, and it sold out really quickly. And no disrespect to Yoshihashi, but I don't think he sold out that venue that night. <laughs> and it was proof that Kenny is not only very, very popular in North America, but what they're doing, what they were doing in New Japan was something that people wanted to see. It just didn't feel yeah. manufactured. It felt like those people were making it. I'm talking about like the elite. So it's yeah that, that eight to 12 person crew that, left and started AEW. That's, that's a factor too, but I don't know how to um, factor it into the rest of the, the long story because we haven't seen it yet. It's only been about a year. But that's mm. when I noticed around like 2017-ish, the ROA show, yeah. That's when I noticed something was different. Yeah. Indie shows don't, didn't really sell out like that. No. Indie shows had, when I grew up, indie shows had a different connotation yeah so yeah so i think it's around um, a couple of years ago right before yeah. all in yeah 
it's um interesting as well that you mentioned uh i mean another thing, to- topic we've spoken about um and i would really like to hear your thoughts on is uh i'm mentioned or i'm a huge ring of honor fan mm. slash referred to as the ring of honor expert at the wrestling estate where i write for um mm. And I followed Ring of Honor since its inception in 2002, and it's kind of my, you know, expertise in terms of the history and the knowledge of the company and the wrestlers and the title lineage and things. Did and and you yourself, like you said, you covered Ring of Honor um, through writing the, about the pay per views, and you've written a lot about the business side of things. And did Ring of Honor grab you straight straight away from its inception or did it come a little bit later on and are there any standout did you attend any shows as well and are there any standout moments in ring of honor history which um you know made you a, a real fan of the company actually no um around when roh launched in around 2002 was really it was my dead period my blind spot era i was really after um I was in high school and I was doing a lot of music stuff. And it was also the time where WCW folded and ECW folded. And uh, I, it was just very uninteresting and kind of sad for me. Uh, so I really stopped watching and I, I, I paid attention to ROH, but what, what I, how, this is how I interpreted it. When ECW folded, it, to me, CZW took that hardcore, uh, they filled that vacuum, the hardcore deathmatch vacuum, and Ring yeah. of Honor took what ECW was doing kind of later on, 98, maybe like 99, 2000, 2001, with really top quality, um, athletic, innovative wrestling. I'm thinking of th- like uh, the series between RVD and Jerry Lynn and Super Crazy and Tajiri. It was all about like showcasing something new something fresh and really exciting yeah and that's what i felt like roh they they took that part and went with it and they did really well um but i never i wouldn't consider myself a a hardcore fan or anything of roh i like it but i i I viewed it as just it doesn't feel like it anymore but it was born out of ecw's death yeah so and it started out as a, a philly indie so i had that vibe too so when i was watching it and reading about it it sounded cool but um and i haven't been to any shows either but um they've been through a lot of changes and at the end of the day they've been around for 18 years that's longer than wcw was around so yeah yeah definitely i mean um talking of attending shows um, if i am right when we were speaking on twitter you did attend uh, ecw shows um yes. Yes. What was um, what was it like being? I mean, I I was way too young to be part of the ECW. Way um, too young. I'm not that old. <laughs> but I mean, obviously, Just I'm kidding. living in the UK. <laughs> Just kidding. But, but what was it? I mean, obviously, seeing it through the screen is one thing. Mm-hmm. But you hear. I think one thing what's interesting about ECW is that whenever you hear that thing of I attended an ECW show, it was a bit like you immediately your ears prick up as a fan. You're like, oh wow, what was that like? So. What was it like for you being in one of being at one of those ECW shows, and what was it like the atmosphere with all of those fans? It must have been, you know, out of this world. I've been to a couple back in the day, and they were great, and they're not like anything that'll ever happen again. But I have to mention that the ECW arena had a different vibe. I went to shows in Binghamton and Schenectady, where I'm from, mm-hmm. which are cool, but. 
wasn't as special. It was a show, but yeah. no surprises from the crowds or atmosphere. It was more, we're focused on the show, but mm-hmm. at ECW Arena, I don't, I don't really know how to describe it. I know that um, that will never happen again. Um, it was really like, uh, like Wild West, not really Wild West. I just <laughs> people said whatever they, what was on their mind. There wasn't, there was chanting, but it was, everything was directed at uh, the show, everything. And it was, it's much smaller inside the ECW arena uh, than it looks on TV. So you get that tension from the closeness of everything. One of the shows, uh, Balls Mahoney put uh, Bubba Dudley through Flaming Table. So you feel the fire, you smell smell the uh, lighter fluid or whatever they Mm. used. Yeah, and I remember one, one memory I have from that show in Philadelphia, there was like a nine or 10 year old kid just kind of hanging around back where I was. I was maybe like 10th row. So there's like maybe 10, 15 seats by the ring. And there's this kid kind of lingering, kind of walking around, just, you know, doing his thing. But he's, he has a really filthy mouth. He's like nine. I mean, he's just, he is so, um, he was foul. He was very, he was, yeah. Like you won't see that ever again. No. He, he sounded like, like a sailor, like a sailorman. <laughs> like he, like how? Who taught you that? Like he, so, it was it was pretty hardcore, really. To, yeah. To, it wasn't just the wrestling. It was just there's a big Philly part of it too that I'm, I'm probably not grasping, but it was unique and it was also of the time too. It was really in America. It was all about extreme. Everything was extreme. It wasn't just the wrestling. Yeah. It was, the soda and uh, chat shows and the sport, everything was extreme without the E. Yeah. Big X, you know, that was the time. <laughs> so it's a, com- yeah, exactly. Uh, it's a combination of the time, the location, the people made it unique. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, it seems like on, you know, on screen, and it's interesting you mentioned about the ECW Arena as well because it does look a lot. It's it, I've seen it through a lot of different promotions, filmed very differently, and you always get a different perspective of how big or small it looks. And it always it is one place I would love to visit just to see it in person, see how big or small it actually. Well, how small it actually is because it it's sort of um always looks different dependent on who's producing the show which i always find you know fascinating and as you said with the fans as well there's always each different promotion has a different set of fans different vibe different you know um feeling for the wrestlers i imagine as well um i mean was it as well in uh or, or with ecw and things where you've wanted to start that early on where you wanted to start writing about wrestling because um it did grab you. Was it something you always wanted to do was write about wrestling or did it kind of come about by chance that um, journalistic side of wrestling? Well, writing about wrestling, I didn't do it seriously. I didn't start or didn't make the conscious effort to start until a couple of years ago. I, I ended, I was, a, a, I was doing a grad program for book publishing and I was looking for, um, when I was, I was looking for projects to kind of add to my portfolio and I, you know, I could add them to my, uh, I could get credit for them at school. And I ended up editing uh, the Sabu autobiography, biography, whatever. And um, that was like the first kind of, it's like, well, I, I'm, 
I'm in the vicinity because mm-hmm. I've been away for so long. And that, there's that and there's, um, there's a Sabu book. Oh, and the Observer was just, you know, I read the Observer every day. They put out a, um, an ad that we, we need a new writer. So I applied and a month or two later they got back to me and it started from there, but I never, it's funny, I didn't plan on this. I, I wrote, no. I, I like to write. And I wrote comic books and I wrote nonfiction and interviews, but um, I, I didn't think about it consciously. I just, I, I, I'm gonna be doing this, I'm gonna be watching this and I already know quite a bit about it. So I'm just gonna go 100%. And when I started doing that, um, it got easy. I was like, oh, I, I can hang, I can do this. Yeah, it's yeah, just, I mean. I don't know if I could do anything else. <laughs> uh, you can edit that out. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no. Um, yeah. So it kind of, it was a conscious like feeling, but it wasn't something I, I grew with. Like it was no. just kind of like a couple of years ago when I moved back to the States. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, um, I first found your work through um, Voices of Wrestling, which, and then uh, really, you know, great website with great articles yeah. and, you know, fan side of DET, as I mentioned, in the Wrestling Observer. Um, and from looking on, and as you mentioned, you know, uh, learning on your website that you'd edited um, Sabu's uh, autobiography slash biography. Um, but I also read as well that you also, with your, your love of comic books and comics, that you actually produced um, a moves a comic magazine book wow. about uh, wrestling moves how did you know um, about that <laughs> that's a couple of years ago yeah um and was that kind of what you wanted to do was it merge the two loves of wrestling and comics together or was was it kind of and a, a different take on what had been done before because it does you know concentrate specifically on the moves of wrestling rather than wrestlers or you know matches and the like to be honest that again wasn't as i i didn't plan that as much as i just i needed it was at a time where i needed some portfolio type material i needed Mm -hmm. physical stuff to show people when i would go and speak with them i you can go we can chat all we want but at the end of the day, if you're my boss and I don't show you anything, like, what? that's how I think of it. So I wanted to, I was doing comics and studying comics at, at Portland uh, with the book publishing program as well. And when I did that, um, I'm trying to think, uh, when I did that, I'm sorry, can you, uh, put me back on track i lost my train of thought oh no no just just where you were saying about how i asked about um with moves a comic book yeah uh, moves i'm sorry magazine no no it's fine huh yeah so anyway um i so i just wanted to put something together so okay what's something i want to make it simple what's something really simple uh take a move write about the move and it's tongue-in-cheek kind of it's not <laughs> uh like i i have some copies still it's not I, I think because I didn't write in detail, like in the copy, like what exactly it was, because it's not much, and it's my wife did the art and she did these great uh, pictures of uh, her own ideas of moves based on references I showed her. And I just kind of lightly wrote about the history or whatever I felt that came to mind. Just, I wrote it in a way that I would write to 
my friend Derek or my friend Andy. I just yeah. wrote just conversational and I was playing around with InDesign too. So a lot of the things were lined up, a lot of the um, experiences and I just put those together and passed them around, sold a couple and I ran out, but I can print more if people want, if you want one, I can send yeah. it over. But uh, yeah, it's okay. It was, it was a cool project. I like to just try out new projects see how yeah it I, I like it it was fun and i, I like it because um you don't see that much uh handmade stuff not handmade diy kind of um media from zines to you know now i see more custom figures to just uh, more uh, bespoke merchandise it's cool yeah and uh, I, I think there's a market for it too especially among hardcore fans definitely um my internet connection said it was slightly unstable. <laughs> ah. What I was about, it's fine though. It's what I was okay. about to say was, uh, <laughs> what I was about to say was, was that the thing with me and what I love about wrestling and wrestling writing and, and yours especially is that I, I like it where the wrestler, like any kind of writing where it grabs me through either a tone of voice or through um, someone's personality coming through, you know, the writing itself there's a lot of wrestling writing out there. There's a lot of it which is very, you know, going through the motions and very um, systematic, especially when it comes to reviewing shows or reviewing, you know, matches and the like. Whereas yours, it always grabs me in the sense that it does feel a lot more, um, you know, personable. And like you said, it's a lot more sort of humoured and fun to read. It's just fun to read. So when you actually do write something for any perspective, um, wrestling writers or writers out there what kind of approach do you take to writing uh, a review of a show or just in general what kind of uh, methods do you take um this is a really good question and thanks for putting me over i don't feel like i'm that personable when i write but <laughs> well the first thing i would suppose is that you got to determine what the piece what piece the platform is going to be on now, if it's going to be on something like Fansided or the Observer's website, um, you know it's going to run through a system like any newspaper, digital newspaper, where it's going to go up through an editor or series of editors, which mm -hmm. I, I feel like a lot of wrestling fans seem not to understand. But it's whatever. It, it's what it is. And so first, you have to determine what the platform is. Like, if you're just writing a recap, I can tell you that most of the big sites, they're not looking for great writing. Just like the same with any, any sport or really any like entertainment website. They're looking for concise results that are quick and easy to read. So from that sense, like for example, I just did a New Japan Strong on Friday. It's our show. With that, I just try to keep it as concise as I can make. I, I tend to be verbose even when I speak. So like I said before this, I, I gave you permission to shut me up whenever you need to. <laughs> but even when I write, I just, I'm like neurotic about details. Mm -hmm. So I, I did that, but I don't, you know, that's for me, that's my taste, but I don't think that's necessarily, that's what I learned. I don't think that's good for wrestling writing, you know, because we have to think about why are we reading it? So if you're just reading a recap, like what do we want to know? We want to know the results. We want to know the noteworthy things that happened. If there is an angle, depending on the company, we have to kind of 
briefly tell the story, but we don't need to go into details because that's the show's job. Yeah. Uh, they're they're going to bring you the details as a new, I don't, and it's also, we have to think about what kind of writer do we want to be for that platform? Are we going to be a news writer? Are we going to be like a snarky pundit? Or are we going to be like something completely alternative doing, covering another topic? Um, so like you mentioned Voices of Wrestling, like that's a really cool platform because they, Rich and company, they let you, they're just allowing good writers to put out what they want. And yeah. They're not trying to uh, editorialize because mm-hmm. that, they're just, it's a different model. Um, so for something like that, I, if I had an idea, I would submit to somewhere like Voices of Wrestling. Like I was uh, working with Voices of Wrestling. They would post my Defy Wrestling, Defy based out of Seattle. I covered yeah, some of the shows and I, I would put them up on the Voices of Wrestling site. And for that, I wanted to give a breakdown, but a personable one, because I was there. Mm-hmm. And yeah. like expressing the senses is something that needs to be in wrestling writing, because it's a huge part. It's almost more so than real sports. I'm saying that just for, uh, for shortness, but you know what I mean. Yes. But yeah, it, so it depends on where you're writing it for. It depends on how people are going to read it, I think. So I can write a, a long thousand word article on something or I can just write results, but those are gonna take different amounts of time to read. And also, what are you reading it on? Are you reading it on your phone? Or are you reading it on a computer? If I'm reading, just looking at results on my phone, I'm probably just gonna scroll through, skim, and not spend more than three or four minutes. Yeah. And if you know that, that should inform your writing. You don't need to go mm-hmm. through the entire play-by-play of a match um, if the website isn't interested in that they just want you to click and go and get the information and go again. So yeah. it's about blogging. It's about, like, is it going to be on the paper? And it depends on how much of yourself is allowed to be in the piece. Because sometimes... Yeah. It, if you ever worked at like a newspaper or magazine, sometimes the writer's job isn't to be there. The writer's job is just to tell the story. Yeah. So there's that too. Like with the Hana Kimura story on Fight Game, that I, more than anything, tried to extract myself from the story because the, the spotlight needs to be very far from me. So yeah. and that, was, that was a different article too. I don't so it depends on what kind of style you want to write and you have to kind of decide who you want to be and you yeah. should have great editors too. Cause if you don't get along mm-hmm. with your editors, it probably won't be great <laughs> and you'll be miserable. Yeah. Yes. Um, it, you know, I'm very lucky that, uh, John who I write for at the wrestling estate is a great editor. Um, great, um, feedback every time, you know, I've written things and, um, constructive and you know it, it's always a pleasure to be able to write about wrestling and be able to see my prog- my progression as I've written over time and it's interesting as well that you do mention the Hannah Kimura um, article because that was one of my questions um, about what I was going to ask you was that um, I thought it was a great you know tribute to Hannah um, over at Fight Game Media I thought it summed up her career and life beautifully and you know I thought it's such a tragic story what happened to Hannah um, and how it 
okay. I mean, it's been a horrible year overall. Um, absolutely awful for everybody. Um, I mean, when you did, you've just said then about how you were writing it, but was it one of those things when you were writing it where did you want, I mean, let me try and word this. Was it something you wanted to write because you wanted to pay tribute to Hannah, but was there more to it than just being a wrestling fan? Was it was it more than just being a wrestling fan as well? You see what I mean, due to what had happened? If that makes, that kind of makes sense. What I'm yeah. trying to say. No, it totally yeah. makes sense. Um, this one was different because when it happened, the editor, my editor Garrett at Fight Game, he asked me to write a piece on it because he knew I had just, I was just at the stardom grand prix finals in september so it had only oh, wow. it was still as we saw her only a few months before that so it was just and we were talking about that and he said okay you're the one you should probably write this so okay i'm gonna go in i'm gonna write something i didn't have any i i just wanted to i wanted to write something good simply and i knew the first person i had to talk to would be fumi saito um and when i talked to him it changed because there is a lot more to the story. And I feel the most important part of the story is her mother, Kyoko Kimura. Mm. And that, when I found out, not found out, but when I really understood her story and when I understood how Hana Kimura's story is a microcosm for a lot of different social problems in Japan and from there, once I spoke with Fumi, I needed to tell that story and I needed to be right. Um, there are so many different topics that this issue touches on and it's kind of developing still with her mother in Fuji TV. It's taking a different turn and it's becoming more about Kyoko, but I just it had to be done right. Because it's really easy to forget with so much yeah. things going on every yeah. day. And it's, um, I, and I really, again, once I found out, not found out, but just realized who Kyoko Kimura really is. I mean, she is Hana. She's like, Hana is her. And I think she, that's a big part of the story. She's still kind of here. Yeah. But uh, again, it still hasn't even been, has it been six months? Not even. No. Uh, so it, we'll see. It, it's it's tragic. It sucks a lot, but um, there's good that came out of it. I think there's much more bad than good. Let me just put that out there first. But I think something like uh, I was able to connect with people I definitely wouldn't have otherwise because Han was on Terrace House, which was a huge show. It got so popular. It was so popular. And, yeah. and she was only on the show for a couple months and she, she was a star as a Terrace House uh, performer, not as a wrestler. Mm. And I met people as Terrace House fans in the media who I connected with via Hana. And I mean, it, she's the one who connected us ultimately. Yes. So I think like in the end, I think her presence was really, really, severe and like a crater like we'll feel what she's done for a long time and i think yeah. it'll it'll kind of guide um 
how we treat each other and how we treat each other in the wrestling industry, how we treat talent online. And, and that doesn't even scratch the surface on a lot of the other issues that it brought up that are more specific to Japan. Yeah. So, yeah. um, but I, I, when I say I felt like I had to, I don't, I didn't mean, I don't mean that like, um, I don't know. I, it sounds sanctimonious or something, but it's just like, it just needs to be right. Yeah. I, that's what, that was what drove me. I wanted it to be perfect for them. And yeah it, it was or it is a wonderful piece you know or, or series of articles definitely opened my eyes up to a lot of i mean i followed stardom um on and off for a long time but it definitely opened up my eyes to a lot of um as you said subjects and issues what i didn't know a lot about and you know hannah was a very very talented young woman both inside the wrestling ring and outside the wrestling ring you know and it's a true tragedy that she's passed away um but you know thanks to your article especially you know and, and i do um you know ask everyone to read it you know as with all your work you know i think i, I that's why i wanted to into you know let's have this interview today because you know your work is absolutely top notch it's always um informative as well as enjoyable it's a blast to read and you know it was it's been a great chat you know interview this uh this evening for me and this afternoon for you thank you for and um, everything. no you're welcome no i i truly mean that you know it, it's um an absolute privilege to be able to i mean i think because we've spoken as well on twitter to be able to connect through that social media platform to then be able to share ideas and interests and then be able to you know um speak like this it's it's a true privilege so you know thank you for letting me interview you justin it's been no, an absolute pleasure you're way too nice um <laughs> but to end it on a, a to tie it a to nice like twitter you know we, we connected through social media and twitter and we're here now we're having an interview being professional adults talking about wrestling <laughs> love it i i think that is what social media should be used for especially in wrestling not for absolutely what whatever else people like to use it for because it, it, it's a weird time especially in the states right now it's just weird and i'm not asking people this in kumbaya or anything just you know let, let's be grown-ups yeah yeah just yeah let's be nice to each other yeah out loud just a little bit just a little bit it doesn't have to be very nice just the, <laughs> you know Absolutely. but yeah but yeah thanks for having me you're you're a gentleman we'll talk oh, again british gentle english gentleman <laughs> yeah i'm just an american swine <laughs> no not at all justin it's an absolute pleasure to be able to to talk to you. and just so then people are able to find you on social media or the like where um can they either follow you like you read your work and you know con connect with you through social media as i have done yeah, I'm on Twitter, like you said, um, at Justin M. Nipper, K-N-I-P-P-E-R. Um, JustinMNipper.com is my website and portfolio. Um, those are the main spots you can find me. And I'm working with FightGameMedia.com a lot. Uh, there are some podcasts that just went up. And actually, I think I can announce it. Um, I'll be doing with uh, Carlos Toro, 
we're doing a special Fight Game Media Presents G1 cast. We're going to do some semi-daily uh, coverage of New Japan's G1 Climax 30. So wow. we'll be covering that uh, soon. So G1 starts next week, so you can check fightgamemedia.com for that. That'd be good. Awesome. Maybe we can rendezvous and uh, talk about uh, New Japan over the next uh, month or so, because there will be a lot of great matches. Definitely. That would be an absolute you know, absolute pleasure. Um, always love learning about more of the New Japan side of things, um, from and, and Japan in, as, a, as a whole, like I said. Puro Rezu for all you smarks out there. <laughs> And uh, just to just to finish off, um, the Broken but Glorious podcast can be found at um, Twitter at BBG Wrestling, and you can find us on our website at bbgwrestling.com. So yeah, so that's been an absolute blast, um, Justin. I shall leave you to your um, day. I shall leave for the evening, and we shall speak again. And thank you once again. Thanks so much, Stephen. You're welcome.